Before we put our bad therapist hat on, we have got to tell you about a super special project we've been working on with our favorite, Jane. This is just for listeners of Am I a Bad Therapist? So keep listening to learn more about how you can get your hands on some super fun bad therapist swag. You should know by now that we have talked all about how amazing Jane is and how easy it was for both of us to switch. So whether you're just starting to do your research or you've been contemplating switching your software for a while now, the Jane team understands that the process can feel intimidating. And that's why the Jane team provides you with all of the onboarding resources you need to make the switch as smooth and quick as possible. Jane offers a personalized call to set up your account, a free data import, and a variety of online resources to get you up and running quickly. If you need a helping hand along the way, you'll have access to unlimited phone, email, and chat support, including in your Jane subscription. And now, if you mention the code Bad Therapist when you switch, not only do you get the 30-day grace period on your account, but you also get swag for switching. This swag is amazing with collaborative branding from Amaya Bad Therapist and Jane, and it is so cute if we do say so ourselves. I had the opportunity to design all of the swag, and I made sure to design it just for therapists. And let me tell you, this is the stuff therapists love. We're talking sticky notes, coffee mugs, hats, you know, the good stuff. And Jane has never done this before, so you do not want to miss out on this one. You can get a preview of the swag if you head over to our Instagram at abadtherapistpod and see for yourself. If you're interested in learning more, book a one-on-one demo at jane.app and don't forget to use the code badtherapist at sign up when you make the switch to get that one month grace period on your new Jane account and the swag for switching to Jane. Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. While we're certainly not promoting actual bad therapy, we are here to shine a light on the messy situations that therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Catherine, I know we all have experienced countertransference, of course, but I feel like you have experienced a lot or comes up a lot for you. Well, I don't know if I'd say more than others, Allie, but I would say, yes, I absolutely have a lot of feelings. I know when they come up, or at least I try to be self-aware when they come up, and in particular in the therapy room when they come up, um, because some of, and I speak about it in this episode, actually, some of my biggest personal growth has come from um, diving into and working through counter-transference that came from a client. And we're going to hear today from Katie, who shares how she works through her counter-transference and grows um, as a clinician. Yeah, I felt like this conversation was so special because we talk about countertransference a lot, but I feel like it ends up where we're talking about how to, how to fur out, how to deal with those emotions, which is so important, but talking about how we can grow from it and how we can actually benefit from it felt like a really uh, like refreshing lens to take from our usual discussion. So I, I'm really excited for everyone to hear this episode today. And just a reminder that this is not a substitute for therapy itself, clinical consultation, or ethical guidance because we don't endorse bad therapy. All right. Well, this is episode number 86 of Am I a Bad Therapist? We're calling this one the benefits of countertransference. Let's get into it. Katie, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. We are excited to dig into your story, but before we do, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Of course, I'd love to. Yeah, I am an integrative trauma-informed therapist going on nine years now of clinical practice. I've operated in a bunch of different settings, everything from corrections to um, addictions treatment to outpatient mental health. And I've been working in private practice since 2020. I was part of kind of the great migration (laughs) during COVID to uh, take the kind of big leap and say, all right, I'm going to dedicate my work to building my practice. And so I focus mostly on helping people who are struggling with anxiety, grief, life transitions, relationship issues. Um, That's kind of my work side of things personally. I am an animal lover through and through. It's kind of like my deepest passion in life. I've been like volunteering and rescuing since I was a wee little Catherine. <laughs> um, and I uh, I still do that to this day. It, it brings me so much joy and fulfillment. It is very helpful for things like compassion fatigue and burnout um, for me personally, at least. I'm also a cis queer woman. I'm married to a first responder. That's been interesting. Um, both, I think, as challenging as fulfilling and fulfilling <laughs> equally. Um, I've learned a lot being married to a first responder. In fact, this past year, I've actually dedicated a lot of um, my time expanding my services into communication coaching, um, specifically for uh, for everybody, but 
geared a lot toward helping people in first responder relationships just be able to communicate better and improve their relationships. And I am also the mental health ambassador for Responders for Pride, who is a nonprofit here in Maryland, and they're dedicated to helping LGBTQ plus first responders, offering support and resources and all that great stuff. Oh my gosh. I feel like we just need a whole podcast about you and the things that you do. That sounds so interesting. That sounds so cool, all of that. Well, we'll have to learn more another time about the rest of that. But what is the story that you were going to share that made you question if you were a bad therapist? Yeah. So let's get into it. Um, The situation that I'm going to share with you guys today is one in which I had already had an established relationship and pretty decent rapport with this client. And one day they brought this new topic into the, the work and they said that they were having a really hard time uh, accepting their child and their child's evolving uh, sexual orientation and gender identity. And uh, this caught me off guard, I think, because when I looked back, when I was like thinking back on it, I think this is the first time that I got thrown a curveball in session that was so closely related to my personal life. I mean, you get thrown curveballs constantly when you're doing this work, right? But mm-hmm. but it just it it like came right home and I was like, "Oh. Okay." And I could immediately feel like <laughs> the reaction inside um of kind of the, the the territory that this could go into and that was probably going to go into. And I mean, as a cis queer woman, I immediately felt very conflicted because I already had this really good empathic bond and rapport with this client. And um, I immediately felt a challenge to that. I kind of felt um, a defensiveness uh, for like, not just myself, but like her, their child. And um, I, I like the judgment started to creep in of you know, them as a person, them as a parent. So that, that was, that was a problem. (laughs) That was a problem, right? Um, I noticed like I was getting an urge kind of to pull away from the client a bit. And I now see that that was a very self-protective natural measure that I was taking. Um, there is there is also like a dismissiveness that showed up that hadn't been there before, which again, you know, I could see myself now being like, I don't know how I'm going to handle if they say certain things and make certain comments and express certain opinions or ideas or feelings. So dismissing wound up being kind of like a tool to avoid getting into that territory that would then challenge even more my empathy and my attunement and my unconditional positive regard. And so it was not going well. (laughs) I know I was pretty misattuned. I had to have been, you know, verbally and non-verbally just not able to show up in the skills that I had really built and strengthened, but this was a real challenge to them. For sure. For sure. How long do you think you continued treatment while you were still kind of avoiding or dismissing this topic? Can you give us any timeframes? 
how long were you working with this client prior? Are we talking years, months? Did you feel, what was your rapport before and after maybe the disclosure or the question? Yeah. So it was, it had been, I want to say around like five to six months of working with this client, which is a significant amount of time. Uh You can do a lot of work. You can build a lot of connection and stability in that like therapeutic bond, right? In that time. And, um, and then they brought this issue in and I, fortunately, because I had, I had been practicing for, you know, at this point, five, six, six years, I was able to catch it really quickly. I mean, I immediately know, like, I am getting thrown off kilter here. Uh, It's no surprise why, right? I'm not (laughs) like uh, unaware that this is a trigger for me. And so I was able to catch it pretty quickly. And um, the work though, you know, that was a bit of a that was a bit of a process for me to to be able to catch it and then address it because at first I, of course, I didn't know how exactly to address it, right? And that's why kind of those other, uh, like I think responses, like trauma responses were coming out in me is that I didn't I didn't know how in, in the moment to really respond. And so I had to kind of dig into my own work and I had to figure out um, and take some steps, some very necessary steps that we all probably need to take when we get triggered by a client to navigate through that and resolve it. And um, if I had to kind of give you an overview, I would say that it, you know, it it wound up getting resolved in probably a, you know a, a couple of months. Um, and when I say resolved, I mean like I was able to not just resolve, you know, my approach, but then help the client work to toward, you know, resolution on their end of what they actually really needed. So yeah, a couple of months, I think. And do you feel like all the stuff you said initially, like racing through your head, I feel like that probably happened so like so fast, like seconds in your brain. Do you recall like in that moment, like what you then did? Was it kind of going into just like a tell me more? Was it towards the end of a session? Like after that initial response, all that racing through your head, feeling uncomfortable, like what happened next for you? It was a lot of um, kind of going into the modes. It was like a combo of my therapeutic modes and my like uh, the trauma responses that keep me good, right? So kind of more listening and um, trying to be a little bit more of a a pleaser (laughs) to try and counteract the um, when I would notice if I would kind of be a little bit more dismissive or a little bit short or, um, maybe may even make a facial expression in my sessions, especially, well, in my telehealth sessions, I have a tendency to hide my view of myself. Um, so I don't get distracted by what I look like. And so I can really focus. And so I wasn't monitoring <laughs> my facial expressions. And I mean, normally we don't monitor them, right? When we're face to face with clients we're not monitoring, we can't see ourselves. And so I, uh, anytime I would sense an expression on my face and everybody who knows me knows that I, I'm very expressive. And so when like, when those responses would kind of break through that kind of wiser therapeutic self energy and show up, I could, I could start to notice it and feel it and be like, okay. And I would, do some just like deep breathing and mostly just kind of trying to ground myself in the session and not worrying so much about what I t- 
to say something effective, but just kind of just try not to say something damaging, try not to do something harmful or um, ineffective. I've been in situations similar where it's a very personal response, very personal response. Um, and so not to the magnitude in which you're sharing. And so in my lesser or less uh, identified attacks on my identities, um, you know, I've, I've considered termination um, after some consultation. Did that ever cross your mind? Because here you're going through all, you're doing a lot of work, a lot of self-work, a lot of work with this client. I'm sitting here saying, I might've just cut and run. Yeah. I think that that's like a very common first instinct. And don't get me wrong, if this were consultation, um, that may have played a more of a significant role, maybe. But um, we were, you know, we were months into this relationship. And the way that I view that is I, um, I noticed that urge. And, and I think that that urge probably did show up. I I don't remember it strongly, but it probably did. It was, you know, it probably came with the flood of self-doubt and, Mm -hmm, you know, insecurity mm -hmm. and imposter syndrome and all that stuff that shows up when we are being human and having a natural reaction to something that's triggering us. And, um, so the thing is though, with that is that (laughs) to, to be totally honest, you know, the idea of even venturing into, you know, termination, I think would probably have been more stressful for me. Okay. So, so I was like, how do I, how do I sort through this? Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that I took that approach because it wound up helping me so much. I, I wound up becoming such a um, more mindful, skilled clinician by having this experience and moving through it. And I think that it's understandable that we would have the natural urge to say, okay, I'm going to have to refer because clear. And I mean, we could justify it, right? We could say like, I can't empathize with this client anymore. I, I can't ensure that I'm going to do what's in their best interest mm-hmm. because I can't stay present and grounded and embodied in the sessions. And so, you know, this is what's in their best interest. But we have to, I think, navigate that in in a mindful way of, of is this a reaction? Because if it's that, if it's a reaction, then we're really actually thinking about our own best interest mm-hmm. or, or our own safety. Um, if it's a reaction, it, if it's a mindful decision we come to, then okay then yeah, sometimes that's the case. Fortunately, I was able to kind of navigate it and and really be able to ground myself in some skills that helped me determine that referral wasn't um, necessary or um, in the best interest of the client. And then I, and then I, you know, was able to kind of keep navigating through. Now, if I had come to a point where, okay, this is escalating or this is getting worse, this is not getting better then yeah, maybe that's where I would have landed. But um, but you don't know until you do that exploration. And then at least if you do refer, you can, you can really justify and make that mindful choice and say, okay, not only is this what's best for the client, but I feel more confident in the fact that I did what I could and I met my ethical standards and, um, and it wound up being that referral was the best case. You know, so it, it builds our own confidence too, I think, when we move through that process rather than just having it be a reaction. Let's pause here for a quick ad break. 
Since you're here, we're gonna assume that you already like learning from other people. And if you wanna take that a little bit deeper and a little further, you should join us on the network. The Therapist Network is actually where Allie and I met and formed this podcast, if you can believe it, several years ago. It is where we have our unfiltered, unhinged at times conversations about what being a therapist is like and the unique aspects that come up in our work. Yes, and we value the Bad Therapist community so much. It is such an incredible part of this podcast, and it just reminds me of the invaluable community that is the Therapist Network, and it's just a gift that keeps on giving, and you really should come join us on the Therapist Network. Thank you, Allie, for the shout out. That was a very nice endorsement. I think we can offer everyone listening a 30% off discount for your first subscription to The Therapist Network. So if you're a mental health clinician, use code BADTHERAPIST to join us at thetherapist.network, and we hope to connect with you inside. Hey, listeners, it's Catherine here. And I'm coming to you today because Allie's not the best at bragging on herself. And I want to remind you all that she has an incredible resource available for free at our website, cccs.care. Allie's Creative Intervention Library is full of easy interventions that even non-art therapist clinicians like me can use with clients of all ages. Every intervention has a list of materials, an entire process video where you watch Allie doing it, and a written description and steps so you can follow along at home. Plus, she even has a list of diagnoses that might find this creative intervention helpful. So if you want to access a totally free library of interventions for when you feel stuck with clients, check out Allie's website cccs.care and sign up for free today. Well, let's loop back to the show. I'm curious, did it ever come into your mind going through this process? Like, again, about thinking about that way, did it ever come in about any self-disclosure? Did it ever cross your mind? Did it feel appropriate? Did it not that come into play at all? That's such an interesting question. You know, I was, I was actually thinking about that um, when I was kind of getting ready to have this conversation with you because I don't think so. I, my self disclosure in terms of um, my queerness is really on a case by case basis. I don't outwardly advertise it, I don't strictly hide it. It winds up kind of, it winds up being like a mindful choice that I make um, depending on the client. And the circumstance kind of like with really any self-disclosure, but um, I don't think that this client knew because when I reflect back on their struggle and, um, and the fact that they brought, I don't think they would have brought it to me if they Mm -hmm. had known, you know, which Mm -hmm. I'm, so I'm glad that I hadn't disclosed because then this would have been an issue that they didn't feel, wouldn't have probably felt comfortable bringing to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so yeah, no, I'm, and, and I, and I didn't disclose, I think mindfully after that for, for a, a very, that very real reason of, um, not wanting to do any harm to them and, and, you know, any potential side effect of shame or guilt or, you know, getting a, getting distracted by, oh no, like I said these things to you and this is, oh God, you know, 
Yeah, I feel like hearing that mindfulness and intention is so, like, great to hear, like, your thought process. It's so well thought out because I feel like so often we have conversations about, you know, countertransference, things like that, talking about referring out. And I feel like it's usually a lot, like, psyching ourselves up to, like, realize you do need to terminate. So I feel like to have this side of the conversation feels amazing because I don't feel like we get to have it that often. I'm like, no, I actually realized I didn't need to refer Mm -hmm. out. So I feel like that's really special because I don't know if we've had that here. And again, hearing your process and thought behind it, I think is so valuable to our listeners, to myself. Like in general, it just feels like, again, the flip side of that coin. I'm so glad. Yeah. It's, um, I think countertransference comes up so much that we, we do really need to be very mindful and intentional, just like when transference comes up, you know, transference is an opportunity to, to help someone to process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, depending on the circumstances, um, we do often have a lot of opportunity to move through it. I have done that many times with clients, um, and, and successfully, I've never had to, uh, uh, terminate because of transference issues, but I have definitely run into them. Um, and I think it's the same thing with countertransference. If anything, we have more of an opportunity since it's coming from our end to do our own work and, um, hold ourselves to certain values and standards that we have as, um, a clinician to be able to say, okay, well, if, if I terminate now, what if this shows up again? Mm-hmm. probably will in some capacity, right? We're working with all kinds of people with all kinds of backgrounds. And our goal is to be able to help them navigate things and meet their goals. And we're going to get triggered again. So then what? I, I couldn't agree more with the opportunity that transference and countertransference presents for clinicians and clients alike. Um, I know that some of my biggest breakthroughs personally have come from countertransference. Um, and when you sit with it, it's, it's so juicy and so good. Uh, but where did you, for clinicians out there who might be having transference, where did you go to process that? Do, is that all your own work? Do, where did you go to get support to do what you say is the work? Oh yeah. No, I did not do that on my own. Um, I, but I, but what was important was that I first realized that I wasn't able to do this on my own. And, um, there were some clear signs, you know, I, the signs for me that I need help and I need consultation and I need to kind of get some support clinically is when I um, am feeling triggered by a client to where I'm feeling stressed before, mm-hmm. during, and after mm-hmm. a session <laughs> consistently with a client, right? There's anticipatory anxiety and distress. The The session itself is like bleh, navigating, you know, a, a, a minefield. And then afterward, there's like this like post-session recovery that needs to happen where you're just like, oh, thank God I don't have to see them until like two weeks or whatever, another week or something. That's a good sign that we probably need to get some consultation. I did my own consultation um, and I specifically, for the last three to four years, I've been getting trauma-informed consultation and that has changed the game for me. It has changed everything about my clinical practice, um, both in how I help people and how, and, and my kind of like what you were talking about, Catherine, like the, the progress I've made as a person to be able to, um, show up both as a human and as a effective clinician in the sessions. That's amazing. Yeah. That is fantastic advice. And I feel like we say it all the time, like the importance of consultation, but it's because it's genuinely so true and like just how much we do need it. And it can feel like sometimes 
we need to, or I don't know if it's like just levels of we feel like we have to do this alone sometimes, or you have that inclination, and it's like we have to go against that of like, no, we don't, we don't have to do this alone. I think it's, I think it's because we as therapists are the tool sometimes, and we have to make sure our tool, we are are uh, aligned or at least you know in working condition or at least seeing our 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 hiccups or our you know blind spots accurately but i really do feel the relationship is part of is part of the intervention and the tool and that is us oh 100% so how else are you going to do that but your own therapy obviously and consultate how else are you going to check your tool yourself 100% yeah the 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 research even shows that um up to like half, like 40 to 50%, I think of our efficacy is based on, is from the relationship mm-hmm. alone. Yeah. I you love know? that research. Yeah. And so just showing up and, and being able to be human with another human and being able to build that trust and that rapport is half the battle. <laughs> um, it's extremely important to be able to do that. And one, a long time ago, I was in a training and um, I'm, I can't remember the exact quote, but essentially they, they framed self-care for us and doing kind of like our own work. I, I kind of lump all of it together. Self-care <laughs> is is, you know, doing our own work, doing our own therapy, doing our own um, self-exploration and building our own insights um, is an ethical duty. It is not a luxury. It is not um, kind of a, a, if we get to it, it's it's actually a very important ethical practice that we have to do because we will bring with us our stuff if we, if we don't. I mean, we, we do anyway, but we manage it effectively, far more effectively when we're doing our own work and we're mindful and, and aware that, okay, so this is, this is something that's happening. So now I can manage it and navigate it more effectively than if I don't. And then it just shows up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're always going to bring our own stuff into the room. It's being aware of it, I think is the key point there. Yeah. I love that. That's so, so well said. And so I feel like this kind of goes into it well. Like if you were to give some advice to anyone listening, if they were going through, whether it's similar experiences with countertransference, transference, or if we're talking about, again, like our own work, self-care, any of those topics, what advice would you give them, Katie? Um, first and foremost, I would just normalize it, <laughs> uh, you know, especially for, um, I think for clinicians who are members of marginalized communities, I think that we really feel an intense pressure to have to be better and have to not make mistakes just to um, have the same level of respect as other clinicians in the field. And so we can make standards really, really high for ourselves. And then when things like this happen, we can really beat up on ourselves. And again, the, the, the reaction can be to refer out, but I think that only if we do it out of reaction, I think that only adds to our insecurity because we didn't figure out how to navigate it. Even if it wound up landing on referral, we didn't take that process into account that teaches us how to be more confident about our deci- our clinical decision making. And so um, just first and foremost, recognizing like this is going to happen. We are humans working with humans and it's normal and it's not a sign of like weakness or failure or being a bad therapist, <laughs> um, but it is a sign that we are um, 
we have an opportunity to get better at what we do. And if we can take it and get some clinical consultation and focus on helping ourselves navigate it in a compassionate way, sending that compassion back toward ourselves, then we will most likely get through it in a much more value-driven, ethically sound way. And that's something that really makes us feel way more competent and confident as, as therapists. I mean, I feel like I just needed to give a pause because that was so well said. (laughs) That was amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that, Katie. Yeah. And if our listeners did want to connect with you outside of the podcast, where can they find you? Oh, they can find, well, so katiebingner.com. It's my name. Um, That's my website. You can find pretty much any resource and you can find all my socials there. Um, I am also on Facebook as Katie Bingner. I currently have a free communication skills group that I'm, I just launched January 1st. So I'm really trying to help just give people resources to learn how to communicate better and navigate relationships more effectively. So like conflict, we can reduce conflict, we can build intimacy and strengthen connections. It's just so important. I think it's a big part of why we all struggle so much today. And so, um, so that's a great resource if anyone wants to join our community. And um, yeah, there's contact info on the website. You can get to me directly that way. Thank you, Katie. Yeah, no problem. And that's it. The OG Bad Therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for this week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We love the Bad Therapist community so much and want to continue normalizing real therapist experience. You can help us by leaving a five-star review or sharing this episode with a friend or colleague. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air for Effect. And if you've experienced an actual bad therapist, contact your state health department or head over to stopbadtherapy.com for more information. And if you've liked this episode, we've got plenty more. Yeah, over 50 therapist stories ready for you to binge if you can't wait for our newest episode next Monday.